0: Welcome to Fed Talks, a Baker Tilly podcast. Baker Tilly is an advisory tax and assurance firm dedicated to serving the needs of our federal contractor clients. And this Fed Talks podcast is a series where we will bring to the listening audience an inside look into some of the topics and issues facing government contractors today. Welcome to another episode of Fed Talks, a Baker Tilly podcast. I'm your host, Derek Boyd, and I'm with Baker Tilly's Government Contractor Advisory Services Practice. And I'm excited to join some of my colleagues today. My guests are Leo Alvarez and Mike Ryan, both with Baker Tilly. Leo is a senior manager in our practice, and he works with federal supply schedule contractors, working on contract investigations and government-wide acquisition vehicles. Mike Ryan, also a manager in our practice, also works with government contractors on contracts management and GSA schedule pricing as well as government-wide acquisition schedules or GWACs. So today's topic is pretty interesting. We're talking about uh, the government's initiative to consolidate their procurements and really buy as one and, and this goes all the way back to 2015 where the Office of Federal Procurement Policy really kicked off this initiative from a government wide perspective to getting the government to really quote-unquote buy as one and, and it's kind of termed category management. Uh, in the past really the individual government agencies were on their own to issue their own RFPs, manage their own contracts, and they really operated fairly independently from one another. but what that really resulted in is a lot of duplication and inefficiency with how the different agencies might do their procurements and what they were buying, how they were buying it uh, in terms of different products and services. So a lot of inconsistencies, especially for contractors that served maybe both the uh, defense side and the civilian side. So. This category management process was kicked off to uh, design, create, and maximize efficiencies across the government. So the goals were reduce duplicative contracting, uh, increase adequate price competition, provide opportunities for small businesses, a lot of things that the government procuring offices really wanted to accomplish but wanted to do it on a a greater scale. So today I'm excited to have Mike and Leo talk about that. Leah, if you don't mind, can you talk about the current state of category management and and those strategies that I was talking about? Are those working over
1: the last several years? Definitely, yeah. And 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 thanks for having us on the uh, on the podcast. Um, yeah, so you know, is the strategy working? I I think this really comes down to uh, who you're talking to. From a government perspective, clearly it's 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 had a big uh, effect. Uh, federal spending on max is at its highest level in five years um, I, you know I, I think I saw recently some figures around the the number of max uh, uh, slowly d- uh, declining and when I say max excuse me I mean multiple award contracts um, so you know if you know we clearly we're, we're, we're seeing some some consolidation and all of this is happening at a time where you know there's greater calls for government to uh, make procurement less complex uh, complex and less about contracting and more about meeting uh, agency missions. The schedules cons- uh, c- uh, consolidation, I think, is uh, certainly uh, an indication of that and, and largely aligns with, with some of the category management uh, initiative. Um, uh, OMB put out a uh, uh, a memo in March uh, of, of this year, 2019, where uh, they talked about there being at least a, a 10 to 15% cost savings when you're using best-in-class contract vehicles and I know I, I, I think that we'll talk about that shortly yep. you know definitely from from the government perspective I, I, I think it's leading to some of the increased savings that they're looking for and, and a reduction in some of the the, the contract vehicles now from, from a from an industry perspective what we're hearing is um, you know the the notion that category management might make it harder for mid-tiers and, and small business uh, organizations to compete um, that the market, uh, you know, consolidation is a is a way to make it easier for large business contractors to consolidate their foothold in certain markets. So, and creating uh, new barriers to entry for those right, small to middle tier contractors. Exactly, exactly. And this is something that that OMB is is has definitely, um, uh, uh, you know, has on the radar, and they they've spoken to it, especially in that March memo. Um, there's also been, you know, some some talk about whether this might make the government a little bit more susceptible to lowest price technically acceptable sourcing decisions rather than some of the best value uh, 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 determinations that that we'd like to see. Um, Only time will tell where we're going to shake out on that, but that's um, That's certainly where where we see it from a a high level. Gotcha,
0: and you mentioned best-in-class contract vehicles. Can you give listeners a little bit of sense of what best-in-class contracting vehicles are?
1: Yeah, so these are contract vehicles that have a a number of characteristics that um, OMB sees critical to the category management concept. Um, The most important of which, uh, at at least in my opinion, is that the vehicle requires contractors to submit transactional data so that uh, the government can review that data and um, that helps them with their buying strategies. Uh, There's a a four-tiered sort of structure that OMB has put out there with tier zero being uh, open market spend and tier three contracts being best-in-class contract vehicles. And the idea is is that OMB wants uh, agencies to start taking that open market spend and push it up the uh, uh, spend under management tiers so that um, the government is better able to analyze uh, uh, spending and and, uh, make better decisions around sourcing. Gotcha. Now, now Mike, you know, Leo mentioned that federal spending
0: on multiple award contracts is at its highest level in five years so significant growth there what, what has gotten the most attention with those uh mac contracts across the government agencies
2: sure so one other aspect i just want to add to leo uh, what leo said is the uh, the fact that best-in-class contracts are government-wide so any agency can purchase through those vehicles, mm-hmm. um, and the the administering agency is going to differ depending on the vehicle. Some uh, vehicles are administered by NIH. Uh, a lot of them are administered by GSA. Um, so, for instance, the the NITAC, uh, which is the infor- NIH's Information Technology Acquisition and Assessment Center, they are administering three vehicles uh, that are very popular: uh, CIOS P3 uh, and CIOS uh, P3 Small Business, uh, which are first to IT solutions uh, and services. And then you also have the uh, CIO CS, which is commodities and solutions. So those are those are definitely really popular vehicles, and we're expecting uh, a CIOS P4 uh, at the beginning of. FY 2020 right yep um, another two sets of vehicles that are that are really popular one is the the Alliant contract vehicles we saw Alliant II uh, unrestricted awarded back in uh, July 2018 uh, we've also been tracking Alliant Two small business which has had quite a, a number of issues over the past uh, few years the solicitation as you know Leo was released back in 2016 and it still has yet to be uh, finalized. So mm-hmm. when you say issues can maybe talk a little bit about what those issues might have been. <laughs> yeah so uh, I think a lot of it was uh, related to protests so the, the most recent protest relates to how these uh, proposals were being evaluated so uh, there were specifically around the the accounting system there are points um, issued to contractors for having an acceptable accounting system when those points should not have been issued. Uh, So Citizen uh, protested that aspect and since then GSA has uh, rescinded the 81 offers that they had awarded and they're going through a revamp process uh, to issue a new solicitation. Gotcha. So, so when we talk about the
0: point system that you're talking about, really this relates to how the scorecards are developed within the RFP and how when contractors propose on these things, this is how they're set up to either... Be awarded and get on the schedule or not. So maybe talk a little bit about what goes into developing those scorecards with the RFPs, and you know, you mentioned the protests that are resulting of that. So that's the end result. What are some of the challenges that are, are being faced in some of these multiple award contracts with the scorecards?
2: Yeah, sure. So some some vehicles that we uh, we've seen recently that are using the scorecard methodology are, uh, like we said, Alliant, uh, Alliant Two. Uh, the Oasis vehicles, which is a professional services uh, vehicle, uh, actually multiple different IDIQs within Oasis uh, for different types of service. We also seen HCATs, uh, another vehicle. Um, but one thing about the scorecard is that it, it's non-traditional. It's a non-traditional way to on-ramp contractors. So we've seen in the past. Uh, You know, more traditional methods, we see uh, a statement of work uh, where contractors have to submit a technical proposal uh, that aligns with the requirements. We also see a price. Mm -hmm. Those are not included in a multiple-ward proposal. So
0: the basic elements of any government contract—a
2: technical volume and a cost <laughs> or price—right, <volume, laughs> those don't exist anymore. They don't
0: exist. <laughs> so, so what do you typically see, maybe, in a scorecard? How do the how do contractors then ultimately evaluate it against one another?
2: Sure. So, the reason behind that is that no one knows uh, which task orders are going to be funneled through o- the Oasis or Alliant vehicles. So you don't. There's nothing to really propose to. So they just want to make sure the contractors are technically qualified to perform potential work. So the way they do that is they, they look at relevant experience projects associated with the NAICS codes of the, of the vehicle. Um, so if you have a 541330 uh, 330 OASIS pool or a NAICS code associated with that OASIS pool, you're going to want to see uh, relevant projects that have that OASIS uh, NAICS code, that matching NAICS code. Right,
1: so there, there, there's a couple of different aspects that they're looking at. Um, the huge, uh, uh, the majority of points that are gonna f- uh, be within that scorecard are gonna be based on your past performance. Uh, and then there's a portion of the scorecard that's also based in things like systems, clearances, and certifications. And what we've seen, at least with some of the, the organizations that we've worked with, is that the, mi- the mid-tiers and the small businesses really struggle in this area. Um, they, have, they just have not had some of the um, experience with uh, with agencies like DoD who regularly issue these kinds of uh, you know business systems. Um, so this is something that can make it a little bit harder for organizations to actually get onto these vehicles. Back to your point earlier yeah.
0: about barriers to entry. If the DoD's the the you know the agency that typically might audit your you know accounting system or your estimating system is one of the six core business yep. systems yep. because you don't meet their thresholds because you're a much more small a smaller contractor or even a mid-tier contractor you've not had that oversight coming in from these government agencies and yep. so you're automatically at a disadvantage because other agencies have deemed you low risk and because you're low risk now you're unevaluable against I don't even know if that's a word. I'm <laughs> evaluatable, yep. not able to be evaluated against uh, these other bigger contracts.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I think that this is the 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 criticism that some of the scorecard RFPs have, have gotten. I, you know, I I think that the that GSA in particular really likes it because it's a way yeah. to to really get a, a good sense of you, you having a, a great pool of contractors that have very good capability improving cap, uh, uh, capability. But you know, there are some organizations that we work with that. Um, were USAID uh, implementing partners. Uh, those organizations um, were working with an agency that um, did not have a budget to really be doing a lot of these system audits. So they were put at a disadvantage when going ahead and, and, and trying to, to, to bid for these vehicles, even if they had a long history of working with, with, with the government and supporting them on, uh, in their missions. Gotcha. So,
0: Yeah. So, so put on both of you guys, put on your, your future looking glasses or getting in your time machine, go a year forward from now, you know, into government fiscal year 2020. What do you see as kind of the big things that are, might happen in the next uh, calendar year here? Are there any other multiple award schedules, GWACs or best in class contract vehicles that might get more attention in the next year and, and any other closing thoughts you have for the
1: listeners? I think the, the, the two vehicles that are, are, that are on our radar are Astro, which is, uh, it's going to be run by GSA's um, FedSim um, uh, organization. Um, it's not out yet. The draft uh, uh, RFP is gonna be coming out at the end of 2019. Um, it's DoD sponsored, it's going to have a structure that's similar to Oasis. Um, what makes that vehicle unique and, and has, has a lot of uh, individuals and in industry excited is that it's going to be an, a vehicle that's, um, that's uh, focused primarily on uh, unmanned, manned, and optionally manned systems, robotic services, and, and platforms. So. Uh, it's gonna have a very, very uh, unique uh, uh, proposition or or offering for for federal uh, uh, agencies. So that's certainly on our radar, uh, no pun intended. And then CIOS p 4 this is the fourth iteration of uh, NIH's uh, 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 contract vehicle that Mike was speaking about earlier, it's uh, slated to expire at the end of July 2020. Uh, but the re-compete is going to be coming out uh, it's slated to come out uh, uh, later next year uh, around um, uh, spring's uh, summertime and the idea is that these vehicles take so long to award evaluate and get through the bid protest uh, range that they need to do it two years in advance of the actual uh, uh, expiration of the vehicle so that's something that that's where we're going to be looking at with, uh, with uh, our clients a lot of different strategies
0: for how they approach those definitely really appreciate having yeah. you guys as experts in the room to to weigh in on what those strategies might be how best to bid on these vehicles and help all these contractors make sure that there's no hurdles that they might not foresee coming so Thank you guys so much, Mike and Leo, for being here. I really appreciate your time and we appreciate anybody listening and you can catch more government contracting topics with Fed Talks, a Baker Tilly Podcast, wherever you get your favorite podcast, as well as visiting us online at bakertilly.com.